0: Hello there, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a prophetic message to the body of Christ in this hour of great urgency and crisis to awaken the body of Christ to come under a new order, that new order being the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ. They will not limit the fullness of his headship in local assemblies throughout the world, that will come together and become his conquering bride church to conquer the nation with the fullness of the gospel as never before in history. And so today we are going to, by the casting of Lot, preach from two chapters chosen by the casting of Lot before God with only a half an hour of meditation and stay in a heartset and mindset of worship that the Spirit may speak what he is wanting to say, to use an individual today and to the body of Christ, especially in local assemblies throughout Canada and United States and also around the world, to every nation in this serious time of crisis. And I need not tell you all the things that are going on in this world that are an absolute insanity of madness and of absolute corruption. I'm sure most of you know about it, and if you haven't found out yet, you're gonna find out in the near future because more and more people are waking up. So first of all, I want to go with a worship song, which I also choose by God's providence through using Lot. And so today, and it's usually a new song that I don't even know from a vast array of songs. I do cast lots from 1,257 possibilities. Although many times God leads me to the right place in the YouTube video for the song and shows me it's another one, which is the case today. And so we will go with that song, which I've never heard sung before as well. And by the way, you can go on my website at loverealize.com where you can find a playlist there on the menu top menu with well probably by now well over a hundred very high quality worship songs that you can use on your overhead projector if you can connect to the internet and play YouTube videos. Okay. I'm just going to choose that song now. And we will go with this worship song, first of all, for today. i wonderful so I want to turn now to the two passages I received today by the casting of lot before God and so we will go to these two passages today I received Micah 6 and John chapter 5 now I didn't preach yesterday so I do want to mention what I received yesterday as well as I found there was some real truths in what I received yesterday. And so, yesterday I received Proverbs 1 and Psalms 136. And sometimes I seek God and I ask for a little more insight so I might sometimes cast for a third chapter before God and his providence to choose. And indeed, every time I find there's far greater insight as to what God is saying by his Spirit. And what God was saying back yesterday, on March the 7th, was definitely about the fear of God. It says here, and I've written this out just quickly on a microphone, it might not be fully grammatically accurate here, but it says, this, the message in these chapters is to enter into the genuine fear of God that brings knowledge and especially of good from evil, because that brings openness to God's reproof and his mercy. What stops one from entering the genuine fear of God and God's mercy is living a life of covetousness. We get our focus on the temporal things of this life, and that is where our heart and our treasure is. Christ said, wherever your heart is, there will be your treasure. So if your heart and all your life's energy and focus is continually on these things that are temporal delusions... As it says in Jonah, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Obviously, when those things crumble around you, because you put your identity in those things, you will crumble with it. What does it say of the wicked? That they are like the chaff which the wind blows away, as compared to the wheat which has value and is not blown away by the wind. Because there is weightiness in the wheat. And that weightiness is eternal value. The presence of God that dwells within your being. Because you received the love of God in Jesus Christ and continued in it as it says in the word of God, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in it. And so we read in Proverbs 1, 7 to 9, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The beginning of really knowing what is valuable, what makes a difference in your choices, which is what wisdom is, the right application of knowledge. The beginning of that is in choosing to enter into the genuine fear of Yahweh. That word Lord in the original is Yahweh, or some like to call it Yehovah. The more accurate one is Yahweh. Even there's a savage tribe in northern India, headhunting tribe, amazing story about them. But they used that same word and they describe in their traditional songs like many tribes around the world before the missionaries came there. How they fell away from the one true God and became, it came in bondage to demons. But they used the name Yahweh and they had a, their own prophets that prophesied that a man with white skin would come and give them the lost book of God. They were doing that for many hundreds of years before any such person came. And it's an amazing story. Then one of them is told by God to follow a donkey. And so they follow a donkey for 200 miles through all kinds of jungle and it goes in front of a well. And they look down the well and a man with white skin comes out that they've never seen before. And they say, do you have the lost book of God? And he says, yes, it's a true story. That actually happened and multitudes of them came to the Lord. I don't know how I got carried away sharing that, but I want to share with you something here about the fear of God. Because the fear of God is the beginning of knowing. A knowing that results in wisdom. But fools despise knowing how to have a knowing that makes choices that are on to life, that are constructive for their own lives instead of counterproductive or destructive. If you do not have a foundation of reality to know the consequences of good from wrong and to have a consistency in those consequences either through rebellion against that reality, bouncing off in a destructive way, or if in conformity to that reality or receptivity to that reality, going in a constructive way. We are all making choices that ultimately boil down to being one day before that ultimate reality. Who is God that will reveal to us everything in our lives? And, oh, I could talk a long time because I've written a book on the evidence of life after death titled Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable. 368 pages in print, a 6x9 large paperback that you can get on Amazon and in Kindle format. And I know. How time and time again. People that God knows. Are going to come back into their body and live. He allows them. If especially if they're. Um, believers in Christ. But not really fully committed. It allows them to have a life review. And many others that aren't believers. And in a because you're in a higher dimension where your intellect is literally many thousands of times superior to your present, you can see your whole life in a flash of time. It's almost like you can go ahead of time, behind time. It's like looking at a 3D object from many angles. Some describe it, depending on how God wants to show you it, as well, and other things. But So you see every little thought you thought from the time you came out of the womb some even before it came out of the womb. Every single thought and choice and desire and smell and taste and experience and how every thought affected what other people thought. It affected then the other people to 10 times over and how it affected throughout the whole world like a ripple going forth. Every single thought, every single desire, you saw the effect of it had on the whole world and on the people going 10 times and more over. And people, there were murderers and others that experienced this review, experienced it when they killed people being killed themselves, experienced when they tortured people being tortured themselves. There is one like that. I don't know if I put it in my book or not. I might have, I have forgotten. There's a lot more I could have put in the book. It'd be too big then. So we're all going to stand before this ultimate reality someday. And you see that the genuine fear of God aligns with your conscience that innately knows right from wrong and that for there to be good, what is evil or corrupt must be judged. And so we go on here and we read in Proverbs some more on the fear of God. Starting in verse 29. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They hated knowledge. The word of God says that the understanding is darkened by the hardness of the heart. And the hardness of the heart is what causes one to not know. And the hardness of the heart comes about by covetousness, by a life that is selfish, that is only thinking about yourselves and living for yourselves, that has not come to a place of facing the ultimate reality, that is living a delusion, trying to medicate all the things that are suffering in their lives. Instead of finding the source of their solace and of their fulfillment and comfort in a relationship with their creator. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. People, you make choices whenever you make choices. It is very significant because you become conformed onto the choices you make if they're destructive, onto a state of being that can even be a hell-contagious state of being that causes a hell around you and drags everyone around you into the same state that creates a hell upon earth. So you can either choose life or you can choose death. Our choices are important. They affect what happens in other people's lives. Even the choices that cause us to think our choices to think certain things. And yes, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to face the fact of this ultimate reality first as I show in my introductions that will be in all of these messages where I describe God, that first, his love is so pure and integrous that it requires severity upon corruption in our lives and upon this world. And so when we get all focused on all the suffering in our lives and all around us and we become unthankful before God, we are losing the fear of God. We are beginning to doubt and begin to think of God as enigma, as Satan suggested to Eve, hath God said. Then she lost the genuine fear of God. As soon as she bought in to those subtle suggestions of the enemy. Oh, you can be as gods knowing good and evil, really. Let's go on and read what we have here in Proverbs. So the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof, Wisdom crieth out, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the cheap places of concourse, in the openings of the gates, in the city, she uttereth her words saying, how long ye simple ones will ye love simplicity? And that word simplicity there has the understanding that these are people that are just driven by their immediate gratifications and senses and don't think about what they're doing. Their simplicity is destructive and scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. That is knowing God, knowing truly what is the knowledge that is constructive. For is knowledge that is destructive really knowledge? Not if it's the treasure you put in your heart. It will destroy your life. It will cause corruption to increase in you. greater torment and desperation. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit onto you. There needs to be that turning, that genuine turning in the heart to acknowledge the purity of God's love is good because it destroys corruption in this world and in our lives that ensures a destiny where there's no corruption, which I've described a little bit about heaven which is not some boring place. I wish I could spend the time telling you all about how wonderful it is after writing a book on it, on the afterlife. There are many more things in here. We go on, and what does it say here in Proverbs 1? Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despise my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own ways and be filled with their own devices. You know, a person that has truly been saved, been brought forth in you by the Spirit of God, is someone that is acknowledged that the holiness of God is good, that it is this pure love that will not tolerate, that judges all that is contrary to this love, and that is so transcendent in that purity, in its ultimate manifestation of mercy, as described in my introduction parts of these messages, that God could humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, for you, that if you were the only one that was created, he would have done that for you. How can you reject a love like that? How can you not receive the purity of this love that is the source of what causes beauty and life and intelligence in heaven and in all creation? It is the very source. Of all good. Of course, being created with free will, we have the potential to make choices that are destructive, that are hell contagious, that conform us to a hell contagious state of being. But we can cry out and be reconciled to God so that heaven comes into our being. And our treasure that's in us is this wonderful relationship with God of his love dwelling in our inner being. Oh, there's nothing more wonderful. So what do I get yesterday? I get Psalms 136, which has a certain word repeated over and over. And that word is, Oh, give thanks unto, in the English the Lord, in the original Hebrew, Yahweh, the ultimate reality, separate above and far and beyond creation and the cre- creature. And of course, the other word that's often with Lord is God. Lord God, God meaning Elohim, the Almighty is referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. In fact, the word of God says his goodness is unsearchable. For his mercy forever. Now, in the English, it's saying, for his mercy endureth forever. And it repeats this phrase, for his mercy endureth forever. It goes on. Oh, give thanks unto God, that's the Almighty's, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God of gods. And that's referring to inferior gods. Or inferior mighties. Unto the Almighty's of The mighties. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth. Great wonders for his mercy endureth forever. And I want to point out what this word mercy means. You cannot have mercy without first having judgment. You cannot have truth or or grace without first having truth. The gospel came in truth and grace. In that word mercy is the two aspects of the being of God in his love. The first is the integrity of his love that will not tolerate what is contrary to his love, which is the holiness of God or the holiness of his love that requires judgment and severity on the slightest bit of corruption in our lives. That is contrary to choosing what is the highest good and ultimately onto the ultimate good who is God. And the other, and, you, and you cannot even know or perceive the mercy of God in first until you fully reciprocate the holiness of God. And the holiness of God is not some outward performance, as you know. It is far more than that. It is a state of being that is totally in delight of God's judgments to deal severely with us in order to bring us into conformity to his love. It is open to his correction. It is an attitude that says, God, I will humble myself before your awesome, pure love that is so holy and pure, and be very honest and transparent. It is something that causes us to recognize that we are undone apart from the mercy of God because we recognize that God's judgments are always right. And our justifications are wrong. And when people go into eternity out of their body, they know they cannot deceive themselves before God and try to convince him that they're not wrong. They know that they're found out and that there's no way they can hide like they did in the world and deceive themselves or deceive others. They know they're caught. But now we can come before God before the light of his holy pure love that is the very source of beauty and light and love and let that light shine into our being and yes, we see how unworthy we are because we become very honest which brings us to a place of great humility and we become very humble before God which brings us to a place of great honesty or transparency before God and we cry out for his mercy and boldly embrace and cleave to his mercy. And cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And yes, then we receive his grace in the time of need. The mercy of God endures forever. Because it is these two aspects of the being of God's love that ensures a creative, ever-enlarging creative state of being in God it can go on without corruption forever and ever if God wasn't first holy and pure of course the universe would self-destruct and God would be if he condoned what is contrary to love would also but no God is totally pure in his choices in his heart he freely chooses Always what is ultimately pure. What is always the highest good. And so we can go on. And I I see I could preach for three hours here easily about everything that I want to preach on today. And so I'm just praying that God will give me grace to get all of this message down today about the mercy of God enduring forever. You see... If God was just pure and he couldn't show mercy, then that would mean he created beings that would have to be destroyed because they made choices. And in almost every case, they would have made choices that would ensure that they would be destroyed or separated from him in eternal torment. But when God is so good that he will not tolerate corruption that also implies that that goodness is also so great that he would provide for what he creates ultimate purpose and meaning for himself and what he created and also in the creature and that therefore is manifested ultimately in the fact that god loved us so much that he laid down his life on the cross so that he could ensure we all could have a destiny. We could choose a destiny that goes on forever and ever. And that is just part of the being of God to go on forever and ever too, is that he is so filled with a love that's so great that he could do that for us, mere creatures, and for you as an individual. And so the mercy of God is, it's these two aspects of the being of God who is love that causes God to go on forever and ever and ever be enlarging in creativity by creating beings that he can have fellowship with, a corporate bride, which he has with us in fellowship with him and with each other, gathering around Jesus Christ in assembly and fellowship. Now, Micah, and there's so much here I wanted to talk about and to, for today and what I received from Micah 6 and John chapter 5. I can easily lose track of the time. So I guess I'll touch on it for now. I also was wanting to share on some other things, but I think I'll do that in another video message. But let us touch on Micah 6 and John 5. This is an amazing passage in Micah 6. So I really want to read it. It's not long the part I want to read. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses and Aaron and Miriam O oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him from Shittim on the Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of Yahweh, wherewith. Shall I come before Yahweh and bow myself before the high Almighty? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. But to do justly. And what? To love mercy. When you love the mercy of God, you are loving God. They would be so merciful to you. And you're responding in thankfulness back to him. The word of God says that faith works by love. When we reciprocate God in his love, first in his holiness and then in his mercy, out of that holiness. How can we not be filled with thankfulness back to God for how great his love is towards us? So, then there is faith out of that reciprocation of love that responds in living it out with not just words but indeed and in truth in our lives and taking those steps to press in to a greater intimate knowing of god through a lifestyle of abiding a lifestyle of prayer and of living out a heart and a mindset of worship throughout the day and whatever we're doing and to walk humbly with thy god we don't walk in pride before god We walk acknowledging that he is separate and above and beyond creation. And I want to say here, it really concerns me that I've heard teaching in the body of Christ. By certain teachers. That say that we can say we are I am just like Christ said I am. No. That word I am that Christ was referring to is the name for Yahweh who is separate above and far and beyond creation. We are not the I Am. Christ does live within us. The I Am lives within us, but we are not the I Am. He is only worthy of worship, only worthy of praise. We are nothing apart from Him. We are, in fact, less than nothing and deserve eternal torment in hell for the choices we've made. There's none that have lived a perfect life, that haven't fallen short of the glory of God, have not thought wrong thoughts and done things that would not, if they rejected God's love, they would never enter God's mercy, they would never enter heaven. And it goes on to say here, were to do justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And I should say there's a lot more about this that concerned me when I heard teaching that says that before Adam fell, he was in every sense equal with God and was not even subordinate to God. I heard a teacher teach that. There's a link on my site actually under false teaching on the left column. Or you can watch it for yourself at the website called loverealize.com. Adam was nowhere near who God is. He's a mere creature. Yes, before the fall, he was filled with majesty and beauty like the angels. But he was not. He was subordinate to God. And he was not God. Manifest in the flesh, except in the sense that he was created in the image of God. How it would be blasphemous to say that we ourselves are the I Am, and that we ourselves are God, like God, an exact duplicate of God. No, God is far greater. Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Father there's no comparison in the genuine fear of God we know our nothingness apart from him we know that in him we are everything we are in awe and reverence before him in heaven in heaven reverence is one of the most wonderful things to experience when you really love someone you treat them with great reverence and preciousness and sensitivity and absolute awe So we read here, many of the religions at that time offered their children to demons in the fire. And the psalmist recognizes here that it isn't the animal sacrifices that forgives us. It is not even if we offered our own children like the heathen do before God, that would be sufficient to forgive us. It is only implied here that only God could be the one that is so merciful that he would actually be the only one that would have the power to forgive us because he only would have the capacity to fully represent us as an atoning, perfect substitutionary sacrifice, which no animal can do. And so in this, we see that this is pointing towards the Messiah and implying strongly the reality that was preached from the beginning, that only God is the source of forgiveness, not, all, not any animal sacrifice. And that quality in God has the manifestation of mercy, which is ultimately pointing to an ultimate perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice. I'm just going to go on, touch a little book, bit on John. This is about also, I mean, there was something very significant here that maybe I passed over in a passage earlier, right down here, the last verse. It says, the Lord's voice crieth unto the city. And the man of wisdom shall see thy name, or perceive thy being. You see, the word name in the Hebrew is very similar to the word Shem, which is the Hebrew word for name. Another word that is very similar to that word for Shem is the word soul. And the word, word soul basically is the word for life, like the life is of the flesh is in the blood. The word soul is... A word that has the understanding of who you really are in reality to yourself. And the word name has the understanding of who you are expressed to others. So when it says, see thy name, it's talking about seeing the being of God, the reality of God in his love, perceiving that love. He, and That is what opens us to being open to his reproof because we're we're receiving the mercy that comes out of his holiness. So this rod, this sharp two-edged sword, which is first the holiness of God and out of that the mercy of God, pierces our being like a rod of light to expose the inner motives of the heart and cause us by being circumcised in our heart, to be circumcised in the ear of our heart, to hear the voice of the Spirit. And it says that the hearing of faith comes. The miracles come through the hearing of faith. And that word hearing is pistis, meaning moral persuasion in who God is. The hearing, the receptivity to who God is, causes the working of miracles in our midst. We need to enter in, and in a sense, the seeing is the same as the hearing, and let me qualify this. Some people think they need to hear the audible voice of God, or they're not so spiritual. Some people boast that they're so spiritual because they've heard God's audible voice. Let me declare to you that the Word of God says that we walk by faith and not by sight, and it also implies that we walk by faith and not by hearing. In the sense that I'm talking about, where you think you have to hear an audible voice from God. Yes, Samuel heard God speak in his ear. And yes, that was because they were very close to God and had been separated unto God and had a very pure soul. But don't let the enemy condemn you and tell you because you can't hear some voice or speaking of God that you are therefore. Something wrong with you. That's what the devil would like to tell you, wouldn't he? No, you have a moral persuasion in who he is, whether you are be, think you can't hear him at all. You still are persuaded in whom he is, and you delight in whom he is, and as you do, you will discover that in different aspects you are hearing him. For example, when you speak in tongues, When I speak in tongues many times, it's because I'm perceiving how some aspect of the glory of God that's so wonderful that I can't put in words and I don't know how to get it out. And so it just comes forth in a beautiful tongue. Well, isn't that hearing? Yes, I'm receiving in a sense that the seeing is the hearing and the hearing is the seeing. And they say in the afterlife they experience that too in a certain degree. Of course, your seeing there is far greater by multitudes more including being 360 degree vision, where you can focus in on things and see little details and see through things. I'm not going to get into all that's in my book on the afterlife. But what I want to share here is that God is calling us to be those that are wise because If we're going to be wise before God, because it's them that are wise that turn many to righteousness, it is because we know an experiential knowledge of receptivity and intimacy with God out of the genuine fear of God that causes us to be the man of wisdom that perceives his name and that receives the rod of his correction, that sharp two-edged sword into our heart, we allow his reproof to work out in our lives. We're willing to eat what is sweet in our mouth and allow it to be digested where it is bitter in our belly like it was with Ezekiel when he was told to eat that script, which was the word of God. God is calling us people to return to the genuine fear of God. And here in John chapter 5, We have. A verse that says this. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? How many people are more worried about what people think about them than what God thinks about them in the body of Christ? How many people would like to just be put up on a pedestal for one reason or another instead of being so caught up in a love relationship with Christ that all they want is to see Christ in the assembly, exalted and uplifted. God bring us to that place where you have such a love relationship with God. This is much to do about the relationship in John 5 of the Son with the Father. For the Father loveth the Son, verse 20, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so this Son quickeneth whom he will. Yes, the Son is just God. The Father communicated to us in this creation realm to love on us and to experience fellowship with us. He wants to come into the midst of the assembly and us to be at his feet, footstool. And To gather us under the wings of his presence in these last days. Oh, God have mercy on all of us. That we would enter into such a union as Christ did with the Father. For that was his prayer in John 17. I was going to get off into sharing about other things, but I'm going to do a separate video on that. And uh, I'm going to just close this message now. Remember, I have a book on Amazon. Amazon called God Headship and Body Invasion as well, which is over 250 some odd pages. It shares everything you can do in your simile to come under the fullness of the headship of Christ, this new order that God is calling for the body of Christ in these last days. Thank you for listening to this message.